is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor says he'll be releasing his plan today to reopen the state economy and get Floridians back to work. Ron DeSantis made the announcement during a meeting with the president in the White House. During that half-hour session with Donald Trump, DeSantis defended Florida's response to the COVID-19 crisis and said he wanted the airlines to start checking passengers from Brazil before they fly to Florida. The president responded by asking DeSantis if he'd rather cut off flights completely. Lee County is not waiting on the governor for guidance. They are reopening their beaches today. Collier County will do the same tomorrow. The state is finally processing all those unemployment claims, and it's rejected almost 40% of them without explaining why. On the Sunrise interview, we talked with a state senator from Orlando who is asking the unemployment office to take another look at all those rejections because her phones are blowing up. Florida's computer portal for unemployment claims is being restricted at night. You'll be able to file a new claim overnight, but if you want to check on the status of the claim or do any other business, you'll have to wait until the day. They're doing this to free up computer resources at night to process the backlog. Today on Sunrise, we take a deep dive at the Public Service Commission, which has approved a plan to return hundreds of millions of dollars in fuel overcharges to the customers of Florida's four privately owned utilities. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and get the latest from Florida Man, including an attorney who snuck into a judgeship and a burglar who was done in by his own hair. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, April 29th. Remember back on Monday when Governor Ron DeSantis said things are looking better in the fight against COVID-19? Going forward, I think clearly the folks should see a light at the end of the tunnel for the state of Florida. Well, as Emily Latella would say, never mind. Monday actually turned out to be Florida's deadliest day yet as 83 people died of COVID-19. The numbers were released while the governor was in Washington meeting with the president in the Oval Office to talk about reopening the Sunshine State. Uh, I've worked with the White House on kind of going to phase one. I'm going to make an announcement tomorrow, but I think that for Florida, going from where we are now to phase one is not a very uh, a big leap. I think that you know, we'll be able to be a small step for us, but we're going to approach it in a very measured, thoughtful, and data-driven way. And I think that that's, that's what most of the folks uh, throughout the state are looking for. So we're going to make an announcement tomorrow. You know, I, I created a task force, and uh, I have all kinds of folks. We have all some of the great health systems. We have great docs. I've got business folks, I've got elected officials, they've submitted a report to me, I'm going to be reviewing that today. Obviously we've been thinking about what we're going to need to do and so, so we'll announce it uh, tomorrow uh, about the next step forward for Florida. DeSantis took a lot of shots in the media because he waited longer than most governors to issue a stay-at-home order, but he says it turned out to be the right decision. You look at some of the most draconian orders that have been issued in some of these states and compare Florida in terms of our hospitalizations per 100,000, in terms of our fatalities per 100,000. I mean, you go from D.C., Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, you name it, Florida's done better. And I'm not criticizing those states, but everyone in the media was saying Florida was going to be like New York or Italy. And that has not happened because we understood we have a big diverse state, we understood the outbreak was not uniform throughout the state, and we had a tailored and measured approach that not only helped our numbers be way below what anyone predicted, but also did less damage to our state. So I think people can go back and look at all the criticism and then look now, and nobody predicted that Florida would. We have challenges. This is not an easy situation. We've had people in the hospital, but I am now in a situation where I have less than 500 people at a state of 22 million on ventilators as of last night, and I have 6,000 
in 500 ventilators that are sitting idle, unused throughout the state of Florida. Are you concerned at all about another outbreak coming uh, this summer or this fall and not being ready for it? So of course, that's why the whole thing we're doing is this is a novel virus, it's, it's, it's unpredictable, um, but we're in a situation now where we have so many more tools to be able to detect and we're going to have so many more opportunities with sentinel surveillance. We're offensive with the nursing homes. Nothing's going to change on, on the nursing home testing. This is until this virus goes away, this is the population that is most at risk. In Florida, we have close to 85% of the fatalities have been age 65 or older, and most of them have some comorbidities. And so these are the types of facilities that are the most at risk. So nothing's going to change on that. We're going to continue uh, protecting elderly. And we messaged that very early about the risk, about how they should stay home. I wasn't going to arrest an elderly if they you know, left their house. But we told them, limit contacts because you're more at risk. And they listen. That's why you go to a place like the Villages. There were articles written saying, oh, the Villages is going to crash and burn, all this other stuff. They have like a 2%, 2.5% infection rate. We tested 1,200 asymptomatic, and none were, none were found to have the virus. And so this is this message of understanding the risks are different for different parts of our communities and age and health, and, and continue doing all. So I think what you'll see is, uh, however we move forward, and I'll announce that soon, you're going to see even more attention paid to the vulnerable. Uh, and I think that that's what we need to be doing. But this is a good example of a partnership between the federal government and a state government. Ron has been great. And some of your friends, some of the other governors have done a good job. And some haven't done a very good job, I'll be honest with you. Some have not. The governor was also asked about whether he was concerned about the state getting a second wave of infections when visitors start arriving from Latin America in greater numbers, which led to a suggestion by Donald Trump that they actually cut off travel from Brazil. Brazil and some of those places, which have a lot of interaction with Miami, you're going to probably see the epidemic increase there as their season changes. And so we so could what, potentially what have, we could be uh, way on the other side doing well in Florida, and then you could just have people kind of come in. So uh, one of the things I've mentioned to the president is, you know, you have this Abbott Labs test. If you have some of these international flights, maybe some of these airliners should, should, it should be on them to check before they're getting on and coming to this country so that we're able to keep it. I mean, you've seen what happened with the China flight restrictions. That kept a lot of people from seeding the West Coast more. And so if we're in a situation you could potentially have from hotspots coming in, I think we were technologically more advanced where there should be something uh, like that. So I, I've been advocating for that. I've talked with uh, some other governors about it. But for Florida, clearly, that's going to be an issue. You look well, at it. Are we cutting off Brazil? I mean, you're going to. Well, not necessarily cut them off, but it's just if, if you're going to fly to Miami, then the airline should give you the Abbott test and then put you on the plane. But Would you ever want to ban certain countries? If, they're, if, if they were seeding the United States, I think you you'll should let ban us know. them. You'll for be sure. watching and you'll let us know. But I would say in the United States, or in Florida, excuse me, in spite of all the international travel, I mean, we have so many people that go to Orlando, Miami, and all that. Um, if you look at our outbreak, not a lot of it is tied to that. It's mostly tied to New York City travel, the end of the three Southern Florida, because the Orlando situation is worlds different than Palm Beach and Broward and Miami-Dade, but yet they have as much international travel as anybody. And yet, as of this morning, I think Orlando had uh, 50 people hospitalized in that whole area for COVID-19. I mean, people were predicting there were going to be hundreds of thousands hospitalized in Florida by this time. So, so they've had 
a, a really modest outbreak. Southeast Florida, I mean, still by some of these other standards, not, not as bad as other parts of the country, but that was really a more of a domestic seeding, I think, than international. Well, we're going to be in touch on that. To clarify what you were just talking about, you're looking at cutting off more international travel from Latin America? No, we're, looking, we're talking to the governor. We're talking with others also that have a lot of business coming in from South America, Latin America, and we'll make a determination. Uh, we're also uh, setting up uh, a system where we do some testing and we're working with the airlines on that. Lee County commissioners decided not to wait on the governor. They voted to completely reopen their beaches as of this morning. They've been closed since March 19th. Law enforcement and county park staff will be out in force to take care of social distancing measures. Now, an increasing number of coastal communities have begun to allow activity on the beaches, but Lee is the first Florida jurisdiction with the largest population to completely reopen its beaches. Shortly after that decision was made, neighboring Collier County announced that it too would open its beaches, but they're waiting until Thursday. And business is about to pick up in Jackson where restrictions on hotels and beaches will be loosened beginning Monday. Florida's infamous unemployment website will be closed for most of business tonight. The Department of Economic Opportunity says their online portal will be restricted from 8 till 8 so they can do maintenance, upgrades, and process the backlog of claims. Now, the only people who will be able to access the system at night are those filing a new claim. If you want to check your status on a pending claim, you have to wait till daytime. They did the same thing over the weekend. The DEO says there have been 825,000 unique unemployment claims. 80% of them have been processed. Almost half will be getting weekly payments. But almost 40% percent of the applications were denied, marked as ineligible. And State Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando says none of them were told why. I'm very happy about how much farther they've gotten along by closing down in the weekend. I hope they close down another weekend and they can get through a lot more. But the fallout of it is that many of them have been determined to be ineligible and they're calling here and said there's no way they can be ineligible. They brought on a lot of new people, uh, you know, DCF's helping them. I think they got some university students that are coming in. Some of these people don't really have the experience to review these applications. I'm sure they're doing the best that they can. But I think also when you determine that someone's ineligible, I think they automatically should send it over to another group with different eyes to look at it to be sure rather than just to put ineligible on the website and have everybody going berserk because they don't even know how to appeal it or why they were ineligible. It just says ineligible. Stewart has written to the man in charge of the unemployment system, asking him to ensure that no one is rejected until their claim has been reviewed by a second person. She also wants them to be told why their claim was denied and how to appeal. It's the ones that have been kicked out that uh, we need to pay attention to a little closer. If they are ineligible, please tell them why, because there's no appeal process. They don't know if they should go back and fill out a new application. Uh, they did, I don't know of any appeal um, form that's been provided. So, uh, you know, after the second review, then what they ought to do is say, you are ineligible for this reason. And you may try to apply again, or you can try to fill out a form that we've created, some direction. In the meantime, the senator's phones and inbox have been blowing up. We've had so many calls today for such crazy things that have happened to people. People are getting people are getting money, so they're happy about that. I mean, I've gotten calls that thank you, we finally got our money, we, we got everything that we asked for, and then I got people that's calling and saying, hey, we got uh, money, 
but we got we only needed we only asked for one week's and they're giving us three weeks pay so some people are getting paid over the amount some are getting none some are getting paid over some are being uh you know shown in the system as being ineligible for no reason given and that's a lot of people so we get a lot of phone calls i'm sure it's the same all over the state every every legislative office is having to deal with these similar phone calls so far the state has issued 523 million dollars in unemployment payments Next up on Sunrise, some good news for a change. Customers of the state's big four private utilities will be getting a break on their next power bill. We'll take a deep dive into the story at the Public Service Commission. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN Plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures, and N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at fha.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Customers of Florida's largest power companies will be getting a break on their next utility bill. Mark Futrell is the Public Utility Supervisor for the Public Service Commission. The item on this morning's special agenda concerns the petitions filed by Tampa Electric Company, Florida Power and Light Company, Gulf Power Company, and Duke Energy Florida. These utilities request commission approval of mid-course corrections to fuel and capacity cost recovery in order to recognize an expected reduction in these costs in 2020 compared to projections made in 2019. The Fuel and Purchase Power Cost Recovery Clause hearing is held annually, and mid-course corrections may be used by the Commission between hearings if these costs deviate from revenues by a significant margin. In this instance, the currently projected price of natural gas has declined significantly relative to the projected price of gas embedded in the current fuel rates or factors charged by each of the four utilities. The utilities are requesting approval to temporarily reduce the expected fuel and capacity charges to customers. While the specific methodologies vary by utility, each is requesting approval to accelerate flowing the projected over-recovery of fuel and capacity costs to their respective customers. The standard approach for mid-course corrections is to spread the total amount equally over the remaining months in the year. However, the utilities are proposing to flow all or the majority of the projected over-recovery to customers in one or three-month periods. The staff recommends approval of these methodologies given the unique circumstances of our times as these actions will aid in mitigating the adverse economic conditions customers are facing as a result of the pandemic. Attorney Maria Mancata represents FP&L and Gulf Power. She says they're trying to help their customers during a difficult time. I would like to thank the commission as well as their staff for moving so quickly on our filing and for bringing it to this special agenda to allow us to implement the significant rate relief for our customers in the May billing cycle. These are unique times. We are not living under ordinary circumstances. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented challenges and substantial limitations in the manner in which we all live, the way we work, the way we play, and interact with one another. And this morning's hearing is an example of that. Uh, Social distancing also has had economic consequences, and that has impacted many of our customers. During this time, Job One 
for FTO and Gulf when it comes to our customers has been to keep the lights on. And as active members of the communities that we serve, we also have chosen to do something about the economic impact that so many of our customers currently are experiencing due to the pandemic. It is uh, to that end that we ask for your approval to reduce rates for the month of May through these mid-course corrections. The commission typically flows these over-recoveries, and in some instances they're uh, under-recoveries or over-recoveries, but they flow them back to customers over the remainder of the calendar year. Uh, but we do believe this is an isolated exception and that it's warranted by the extraordinary circumstances surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. If these petitions for mid-course corrections are approved, our customers will experience one-time bill reductions that are substantial. And this is applicable to all of our customers, from residential to small business, includes governmental entities, hospitals, and even up to the largest industrial users. The reduction would appear on their May bill when so many of our customers need the cash infusion the most. John Moyle is an attorney with the Florida Industrial Power Users Group, which includes some of the biggest companies in the state. He is usually a thorn in the side of big utilities, but not this time. We are appreciative of the utilities flowing back these monies, particularly during these these tough times. We also appreciate the fact that utilities are no longer hedging, and if they had been, the money's flowing back would have been reduced significantly by the cost of the hedges. So we think it's a good day for consumers, including industrial consumers. Public Service Commissioner Julie Brown also praised the power companies because they're the ones who decided to ask for this adjustment now, instead of sitting on the cash until the end of the year. This is truly a no-brainer for me, quite frankly, and I appreciate the IUs taking an early initiative to help their customers in such a time of need. Without a commission directive, as is the case in so many other states, whether it's a one-time lump sum of relief as proposed or a gradual flow back to customers, this is a tremendous public benefit. I also want to mention that I appreciate the utilities actively managing their fuel contracts to keep costs low for their customers and re-emphasize my gratitude for being in the position we are today so expediently. Finally, I want to thank many of the companies for their pro-consumer actions they've taken early on, whether it's a, an affirmative decree not to disconnect for failure of payment or waiving late fees or even contributions to local community nonprofits, um, as is the case of so many. There's really been just exemplary action by the companies helping pay for housing and utility costs to those in need. And I appreciate the humanitarian efforts during this difficult time. Commissioner Donald Pullman says the timing is right for a refund. Taking this action now in the extraordinary fashion that we're addressing today uh, it simply makes sense under the current circumstances. Uh, it's the right thing to do for the customers. And I certainly do find it to be uh, in the public interest in general. I applaud the effort and uh, I do appreciate the staff and public council and uh, all the uh, attendant parties uh, working together on this. I, I think it is uh, a very significant move. And PSE Chairman Gary Clark was also singing the praises of the power companies. These unusual and difficult times call for unusual and difficult measures and I, I want to just say thank you again to the uh, all of the parties that have stepped up to the plate and are doing their part to
try to ease some of the pain that the consumers are feeling out there. I think this is a uh, very strategic move on, on behalf of the utility companies and uh, I applaud you for your efforts. All the public service commissioners basically said the same thing, but Commissioner Art Graham said it in the shortest amount of time. Commissioner Graham. Ditto. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Graham. FPNL, Duke, and Gulf will pass the savings along with one-time reductions in the May bills, while Tampa Electric will stretch the refunds out through the rest of the year. Now, there are also 21 publicly owned utilities throughout the state that are not regulated by the PSC, but last week they announced plans to decrease bills because of the lower-than-expected cost of natural gas. Your calendar of events? Well, the Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call at 9. At 9.30, the Department of Transportation holds a webcast of a task force that's working on plans for the Northern Turnpike Connector. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30 in Tallahassee. The South Florida Water Management District holds an online workshop at 11.30. They'll do an update about a regional water supply plan called the Central Florida Water Initiative. And the Florida Historical Commission will meet by webinar at 1.30. And finally today chance to catch up with Florida Man. Thanks to a last-minute switcheroo, a Florida man has been elected as a judge without the annoyance of an actual election. Just before the Friday noon deadline to qualify for the seat, Circuit Judge Tyree Boyer withdrew his name from the election while at the same time 37-year-old Michael Khalil filed for the race. By the time the state elections website noted the change, it was too late for anyone else to file for the election. Kind of sneaky, huh? Khalil's the son of a wealthy attorney who made his fortune defending tobacco companies. He's also the cousin of at least two Duval County judges. The switcheroo sparked outrage in Jacksonville's legal world, and there are calls for an investigation. Finally, a Florida man is charged with burglary after the store owner recognized him in the surveillance video because of his hair. Two burglars triggered the alarm when they used a brick paper to smash through the glass door of a convenience store in Port Charlotte. They grabbed all the rolling papers they could carry and ran. And when the owner checked the security tapes, he noticed one of them had long hair that resembled one of his regulars, 18-year-old Chase Grimes. Deputies went to his home, found the stolen rolling papers, plus the tools that were used to break into the store. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.